0: Welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast. Each week you'll find inspirational, motivational interviews with some of the world's best language learners, industry experts, all trying to help you to learn foreign languages better, faster, and more efficiently. And here we go if you're looking for a language teacher to enhance your language learning then i highly recommend italki italki is the world's biggest tutoring platform and you can find thousands of teachers and tutors at very reasonable prices get a free lesson after completing your first lesson by going to languageteacher.co hey just a quick note if you're listening to this after september 2019 you can skip to minute seven for the start of the today's interview Hey guys, how is it going? This is uh, episode 161. Today we're going to be talking a lot about traveling, a lot about learning a language to a really high level. My guest today, Jonathan Mahoney, really uh, has gotten to a very high point in Russian. He shares his experiences in today's episode. We also talk about his epic multi-year-long trip around the world and how he was surprised at how affordable traveling around the world could be, and um, that's really the big kind of overarching theme for this episode is, is traveling and mastering a language. But before we get into that, I just want to take a moment to just have a chat with you, a few kind of orders of business, if you will. First of all, I just um, had a new plugin installed on the website, which allowed me to see all the podcast reviews from all over the world in case you don't know if you go on iTunes it will only show you the reviews from the country that you're in so if you are live in the UK you will only see the UK reviews unless you go in and change your language in the store or your location and um, so I read a bunch of new reviews that I've never seen before and I just want to thank you guys for leaving so many great positive reviews. I mean I think there was <laughs> 46 reviews uh, from some of them even a few years back so I'm sorry for having missed them back then and there was only one that wasn't five stars, so I really appreciate you guys uh, reviewing it. And, and obviously, it must be doing something right, and that really makes me happy as well. Because you know, sometimes when you do these things, the, the f- there isn't an immediate mm-hmm. feedback. You know, I, I get a lot of messages and emails, or I should say, occasional messages and emails from people saying, Oh, I really like that, and that was really nice, please keep doing it, and all that. But there's also a lot of time where you're just kind of grinding it out, you know, you're just doing all these episodes and you just You don't really know why you're doing it, but at the end of the day, if you have fun doing it and people like it, then why not keep going? Uh, So that was the first one. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for leaving the reviews. The second is I'm really excited about Langfest Montreal, or, uh, (laughs) well, it's just called Langfest, but it's always in Montreal so far. By the time of this recording, it's a few weeks away, about three weeks away. So if you are attending, uh, please come and say hi. Uh, I'd love to meet listeners of the podcast in real life and i don't make it to north america that often so it'd be cool to meet some of you guys otherwise i'm just looking forward to hanging out having a good time and uh, seeing the beautiful city of montreal again which i was back in 2016 uh, back when it was called the north american Polygon symposium (laughs) i'm glad they changed it to langfest the other thing is the if you're listening to this in the end of july or early august there's still some time to register for the first Polygot Cruise which is an event that I'm putting on with a few friends next spring and it's basically we have a little section of a big cruise ship and we're going to do a conference on board with talks from a few select amazing speakers some of my friends and I might also (laughs) be speaking a bit if there's any topics that I can really provide some good insights to Um, but the beauty is we're going to do it in the mediterranean seas we're gonna see i think six different cities and it's there's like four languages being spoken there and obviously there's lots of people on the ship that speak various languages and there's lots of time to do all the stuff you want to do on a ship and obviously great food and drink and it's suitable for f- for people of all ages with families uh, as long as you're over 21 you know you can go on your own and uh, so it's a bit like the polyga gathering combined with uh, a luxury cruise holiday it's only uh, we're only doing the conference for a few hours a day it's it's really about socializing getting to know people and at this point we have about 30 to 40 people uh, registered not sure what the current number is but that just means there's going to be a lot of time to get to know each other and if you're interested in in, in t- turning your language hobby into a career this really is probably the best place to do it because there's uh, um, three of the speakers Lindsay williams kirsten cable ollie richards myself to to some degree have all kind of pivoted into languages as a profession uh, in very different ways you know creating online courses uh teaching uh there's uh, i i do affiliate marketing so i would recommend products i do reviews and all that kind of stuff um the this podcast is sponsored by toki so there's lots of ways you can kind of drill down and and get to know all these things uh, and if you want to start an online business or or even just a language business or teaching you know, you're going to have a whole week on a ship with some experts who've done it, and you can chat over drinks or coffee or breakfast or whatever uh, about any problem you might have, so this is really, uh, I think, a, quite a unique opportunity, and uh, obviously, because it's so uh, far away, it's in April, um, The and it's the first time that it's ever happened, obviously, we haven't we haven't quite reached the 100 participants that's the maximum and I don't think we will anyway, not that it matters, but I think once we've done it once and we've seen how it is and we've got pictures and videos and trip reports and everything, uh, I think number two, which will be next year, uh, should be, or the year after, should be uh, should be filling up quite a lot faster. It's the same with any kind of event. So, um, yeah, go check out com if you're interested. Um, I'd love to see you there. That's going to be super fun. April 2020. 2020 2020 it's <laughs> probably a better way of saying it and um, I think that's about it I just once uh, again thank you so much for listening and uh, sorry for uh, kind of uh, waffling on a bit here for the first few minutes but sometimes you know I don't have any really introductions in in the podcast and there's just a few things to to take up so um, enjoy the episode with John it's it's, it's a bit different this time. We don't talk that much about language. I do ask him a, a few questions about his, his Russian mastery, which is something that I'm very envious of. I've been learning Russian for quite a few years, but I'm really f- mostly fascinated by his uh, his travels, like the, the world travels, which I think a lot of us out there have a secret kind of dream about doing, or at least something similar. You know, you don't want to maybe travel for five years uh, in a row or, or even a couple of years. But maybe this will give you some inspiration and ideas for for you to go on your trip. So uh, enjoy the episode with John, and uh, I'll see you in the next
1: one. My name is John, uh, Jonathan. Uh, I'm from Canada. I grew up in Nova Scotia, Canada, on the East Coast. Um, and how I got into the language world, I think it kind of all started... Um, when I was, when I just started high school, so I guess I was 15, um, and in my school at the time, um, there were, there was like 30, uh, exchange students and the part of Canada where I'm from, there's a lot of immigrants in Canada from all over the world, uh, with lots of languages, but the small town in Nova Scotia, where, where I, I grew up and went to school, uh, was very white, very English speaking. Um, so you, you didn't hear that many other languages and you didn't meet people from other countries that often, especially back then, now there's more, but um, I was really fascinated by the these international students. So I spent most of my uh, my time when I was actually uh, at high school, I, I spent most of my time with uh, with these foreign students from, there was a lot from Mexico, from Brazil, from Germany, uh, there was one from Russia, and yeah, it's several different countries, uh, Thailand, and that I think that sort of started my interest uh, in different cultures and different languages. Um, yeah, I would say I would say that's definitely cool. where I could trace it back to. Did you have French in school? Uh... Yeah, so it wasn't. It definitely wasn't my first. Um, experience with a foreign language, but French is a is sort of a I have a strange experience with French. Yeah, I think from from fourth grade, we started French, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and when I was in fifth grade, my parents sent me to a French school where everything was French and it was very difficult. Um, it was forbidden to speak English at the school. And so I was just thrown in kind of uh, like, I don't know, almost like I got just, you know, moved to France and I didn't have any choice. Um, So I was given all this homework and all the subjects, right. And math and history and stuff. And um, I would come home and I didn't even understand like what they said. I don't know what's written there. And after about half a year, I switched back to English. I was, you know, lots of, lots of evenings crying and just not, just didn't understand. Um, And then I, I guess I, I disliked the English school so much that uh, a year and a half later I went back again to the french school oh wow uh, so i went from uh from grade seven to nine um, which i guess is is something like uh, from twelve to fourteen years old i uh, I was at the uh, at a French school and uh it was difficult and i it 's kind of strange I was thinking about it today it's sort of like it's sort of like if I started a movie or a book in the middle and i didn't finish it. <laughs> um because when i went to uh to the french school in in seventh grade i remember um in french class it, it wasn't it's not for like um french as a second language it's like french as a native language mm. so they, i remember we had like a 50 page booklet on passé composé if anybody studied french you you know that this is a verb tense that's a little bit difficult and um so I but i never did like the basics nobody ever taught me like present or something like that so i understand french very well um and i can speak it i can communicate um but it's it's i have a weird relationship with french because before i was i think 18 i never met a single person who spoke french but didn't speak english Uh, so it was it was sort of just like a game i didn't understand why why would we speak french if we could just speak english so so uh, to this day, I, I have never spent a significant amount of time in a place where I really like, I didn't have a choice where people spoke French, but didn't speak English. So uh, someday I would like to, to do that. Yeah. Sort of fill, fill in the blanks, you know? Right,
0: and, and I mean, you must have a, a massive passive uh, level that will, you, know, you could basically just start to, from there and live completely as a native.
1: I think so. I, I, yeah. So my mom's actually my mom's native language was French. So my grandparents spoke French to her, or certain, native language, maybe the wrong word, but her first language was French. Um, she didn't speak English until she went to school, right. and uh, but she never spoke uh, French with us at home. So um, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a, a strange situation.
0: <laughs> right. Did you have any other foreign languages?
1: So um, part of my spending time with uh, foreign students was I dated a Brazilian girl when I was uh, in high school for about two years, uh, well, starting in high school and then after graduation. And I spent uh, uh, three months uh, in Brazil and Salvador. And um, yeah, that was, that was um, my next foreign language was Brazilian Portuguese. Um, she never spoke Portuguese to me. Um, She helped me once in a while if I asked some questions and I never really like had a grammar book. But when I went to Brazil, uh, I just kind of fell in love with the culture. Her mother didn't speak uh, English. So I was only there for three months, but I remember when I flew to Brazil in the plane, I, I wanted to speak Portuguese to the flight attendants. Um, so, because I think that they were asking in Portuguese, you know, what do you want to drink? And the only thing that I knew how to say was water. So I drank water on the way to Brazil and, uh, on the way back, I was, I mean, on, on before I, uh, I left back to Canada, I, uh, I was, um, talking to people on the street and stuff. Like I was able to communicate and, um, yeah, I was, I'm kind of, to this day, I'm kind of amazed by how I just absorbed Portuguese somehow. Uh, I've still never really studied the grammar, but I love it. It's probably my favorite language, Brazilian Portuguese. What age were you in at this point? I was 18, I think. Yeah. Hmm.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah. So the um, that was like my second real foreign experience. I, I went to Russia actually before that. Um, I just saw this um, I saw this uh, advertisement that uh, you could teach uh, English in Russia. Uh, as a volunteer, and uh, so I just graduated high school, and I thought oh, I could do that. And so I applied, and they said, "Yeah." And so I, I lived in a small city called Voronezh in, um, in Russia for four months when uh, when I just turned eighteen, and then I came back to Canada for ten days, and then went to Brazil for three months. So it was it was an interesting start to my life after school. Wow. So,
0: do you, do you think do you kind of tie all those uh i call them adventures. So, you know, that's, I, I don't know many people just jet off to Brazil for three months and, and, and to Russia for a few months. Do you tie all that back to those uh, initial experiences with the exchange students in your school? Um, was there something else inside or some uh, uh, maybe family inspiration or good friends or anyone else who had that kind of travel <laughs> lust? or
1: I don't know anybody who traveled so much. Uh, I didn't know anybody back then, I don't think. You know, like uh, Canadians, uh, at least from where I'm from, um, they'll travel to the US a lot. They'll travel maybe to Florida, sometimes to Mexico or different Caribbean islands for like um, um, to, to go to resorts. Mm. Um, and then you know, if people have enough money, they might like a lot of people will go to Europe, like maybe once in their life, you know, that's, and when they take the trip, it's like, wow, this is, you know, my once in a lifetime thing. And they go and try to see all of a bunch of countries in Western Europe. And, uh, but yeah, so that was the, that was probably the most that I'd heard at that point, but I had, uh, you know, seen some things online. I hear, you know, people travel more, people go here, people go there. And, and, um, I always, um, I would say my whole life I, I've always just looked at others and, and heard about others' experiences. And I've always just asked the question, well, if they can do it, then why can't I? And, you know, if they could do all of that, then I, I must be able to at least do like a little bit of that, you know? And uh, yeah, I, I think it was um, just a combination of things. I don't know when, but at some point I, I did see a, a movie, a documentary about, um, about a trip around the world. The guy did it pretty fast in a few months, I think, and he was flying between cities, but yeah, just the, the whole idea of it, that was uh, was pretty cool. And, and uh, when the opportunities presented themselves, I, I went for it. We'll
0: just take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, italki, but we'll be right back. On this podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of language learners, some of the world's greatest polyglots and industry experts. And one thing they all agree on is the value of one to one tutoring lessons and for this i highly recommend italki they have thousands of teachers in all price ranges and they even have certified teachers who have taken diplomas or have degrees in the language you're learning so whether you're just brushing up on your italian ahead of a trip to rome or you want to master russian to take the uh, exam or whatever your goals are in languages italki has a tutor suitable for you And compared to private tutoring offline, it's really affordable. You can find informal tutors down to $5 an hour, and you can have trial lessons for even less. So if you want to master a language uh, from the comfort of your own home, and you even get a $10 credit when you complete your first lesson, go to languageteacher.co and check out italki. It might be the best thing you do for your language learning this year. Right, and uh, that's a nice segue for uh, your your bigger travel. Uh, So, you know, when we met in Barcelona, I said you remind me of someone, you know, and and you talked about your YouTube channel and how you'd uh, grown a massive beard on a on a world tour and and just gone on this massive round the world trip. And so, how did where did that even begin, and how far in the in the story are we for, for that one?
1: Um. Yeah, so actually, there's a good chance that somebody watched, uh, listening to this uh, podcast has, uh, has seen the video because I think it has 37 million views now where my beard is growing as okay. we, my wife and I traveled around the world. Yeah, um, we sort of jumped ahead quite a bit. Um, um, yeah, uh, maybe just briefly uh, how I learned Russian. Because right. that sort of that sort of uh, is is before that. If you want to go chronologically, or we can just get into the trip.
0: No, yeah, let's do it. So you were there for as a as an English teacher.
1: Yeah. So, but I didn't know any Russian then. I, right. My accent was pretty good, so I could tell people like I don't speak Russian, and they were really confused. <laughs> um, like I, I and I only knew like I don't know thirty words or something, um, and I would confuse like for example, I, I remember one time somebody came to the school and was asking something in Russian. I didn't really understand but i th- i knew that they were looking for somebody and i said um um something like on ne uh because in in uh, french you can say on like we uh, oui. uh, but in russian on uh, on means he yeah. so i said like he doesn't know kind of thing but <laughs> with the with the conjugation for we oui, and yeah but i i really uh I didn't speak any Russian. Uh, although in four months, I'm sure that, you know, there's some passive uh, learning that happened and I could understand some things, but I, I didn't speak and I had no idea like what um, the cases were at all. Um, so I, uh, in, when I was 20, um, yeah, I, I spent a, some time in different cities in Canada in Edmonton and Edmonton and Montreal. When I was 20, I decided to go on a uh, religious mission for a church. Um, And when I applied uh, to go, they didn't give me a choice uh, as to where I wanted to go. And uh, they they knew my history, but yeah, they just, um, they decided and they sent me to Ukraine. So I lived in Ukraine for two years uh, from, I guess, from 20 to 22, something like that. Um, and that's, I didn't really have a choice, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, where to go and what language to learn. So they said, go to Ukraine and learn Russian. Uh, they, they did a 12 week training course in, uh, the U S and, uh, and I started to get a hang of it a little bit, but when I got to Ukraine, I still remember that I didn't really understand the cases. Like I thought I, I understood the idea, but I, I just couldn't really apply it. And. I had this um, idea that if I would just sort of mumble the endings of the words, like the in, in Russian, for those who don't know, the ends of all nouns and uh, pronouns and adjectives change depending on the part that they play in the sentence. And I thought if I just kind of mumbled the endings that people would guess from context if the rest of the words were like, all right. But I, I quickly realized that, that that does not work at all in Russian, That is very important to pronounce the endings, and you know, just a, and a different ending can completely change the meaning of the sentence. So, so yeah, that uh, that was sort of um, uh, an extreme immersion experience. <laughs> so you just thrown uh, in
0: there with a bit of, I mean, twelve weeks is is hardly a preparation. <laughs> it's not a lot of time to learn such a yeah. complex language.
1: Yes, yeah, I I, I definitely agree. Um, it, the way it was in this church mission, there was always two of us and, and everybody that I uh, was ever with, um, during this mission was, uh, was a foreigner. So I never actually was with a native speaker. Like I didn't live with a native speaker. Um, so I, I remember after six weeks in Ukraine, I my, um, second, uh, we call them companions. He, he was, uh, his Russian was, he understood worse than I did. And I think he'd been there for like seven months or something. Mm. And so it's sort of like, it was all on me at that point, after six weeks in the country and 12 weeks at a training uh, course. So when people would call, I would answer the phone. I remember the first time I answered and it was just like, I've never answered the phone in Russian before. <laughs> but you know, I, I what am I going to do? I can't just like hang up. So I picked it up and you know, I figured it out. And so I I remember after about a year, I was pretty good. I probably made a bunch of mistakes. But after two years, I was, I was very good. Mm. Uh, Made not so many mistakes. So yeah, then uh, just brief, just briefly, we can get to the trip, because that's the more interesting thing. I went to um, university in the States, and uh, I uh, studied linguistics. And I thought I would do a double major linguistics and Russian, but um, it turned, I, I realized that, a double major would just be harder and nobody would really care that I did a double major. So I, uh, I switched my major to Russian and did a minor in linguistics, um, just because it was easier and I already spoke Russian really well. And, uh, I finished the bachelor's degree in two years. I don't know why I did that, but I am grateful that I did because I did a study abroad while I was there in Moscow. Um, and which is where I am now, by the way, I don't think we mentioned I'm in Moscow, Russia. Um, and that's where I met my wife. So, um, uh, yeah, we were. I was uh, just visiting St. Petersburg for a weekend, and my wife was there. Um, she was actually running with the Olympic torch and in the, in the relay. She won a contest and and uh, was able to take part in that. And on the way back um, from St. Petersburg to Moscow, we met in a train, and uh, we started talking in, in Russian, and and eventually we got married 14 months later. So.
0: Wow. Totally um, nasty.
1: <laughs> What's that?
0: yeah talk about destiny how uh you you came you're an english teacher in in russia and then you you were sent there by the church you, you didn't choose it even you might have chosen it anyway but uh you know and then you meet your wife that's uh, amazing
1: yeah yeah uh, well yeah i don't know how much i believe in fate and all, all those things but uh uh yeah, I, I'm really happy that it worked out the way it did because uh, because now we're together and um, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's great. Yeah, so I, like I, I was still studying, so I went back and we had a bit of a long distance relationship for I don't know eight months. Um, it was eight months before we even saw each other again, and then I I came uh, to Russia and I proposed, and, and then she came to visit me in uh, in the U.S. while I was still studying. I wanted to show her what it was like to study in an American university, and then. And then uh, she came again and we went to Canada and got married there and then I moved to Russia. So um, since 2015, well, 14, I guess, the very, very end of 2014, thousand fourteen, I've, I've Russia has sort of been my home. Right. But there was a big gap in there. So that was the trip.
0: Right. Tell us about it.
1: Okay. Um, well, we got married in December and... Um, I, uh, the way I remember, it all just kind of happened organically and a small idea just grew uh, a lot. (laughs) And um, I think part of it was that um, we'd, we'd, my wife and I decided that we want to have kids, but we decided maybe we'll just wait a little bit. We won't have kids right away. And um, so I thought, well, we're not going to have kids right away. Then maybe we should travel a bit. Um, I don't know when these ideas started, but at some point I, I thought like, Uh, you know, when I'm in my early 20s, it'd be cool to just travel, I don't know, around the world for like a year or um, at least for many months and visit a bunch of countries. And, um, and I thought about doing that. And then when I found when I met my wife, and then we got married, then I couldn't do it alone. So, um, you know, I I talked to her about that the first day that we met, like, you know, that I want to travel, I want to live in different countries. And um, she, she was, that was definitely a kind of a new idea for her, like living in different countries and that, you know, the fact that you were born in uh, one city doesn't mean or one country even doesn't mean that you need to stay there for your whole life. Um, but she's, she really came around to the idea and now she can't imagine it any other way. But, um, I thought, well, you know, we're not, we're not having kids yet. Um, let's, uh, let's try to travel a bit, um, before we, uh, before we have kids. And originally I thought, we would travel for a year, and um I remember very clearly we we laid out this big map of the world on the floor in our living room here in moscow and um and we just sort of started drawing we didn't literally draw we were just like looking you know where we could go you know should, should we go east or west and we thought, well, Europe's so close, it's so easy to travel in Europe, maybe we should better um go east so Um, we figured out this whole, this rough plan of what areas we'd like to visit of the world. And, um, we said, let's leave. Uh, I think we wanted to leave even sooner in June, but June was getting closer. And, uh, I thought, Oh, we should have $20,000. That would be good. $20,000 would give us like, I think it was a bit over $20 each per day for a year something like that. I think it was more than that, but with the visas and everything. It would be it'd be less, you know, per day expenses. And um, and when when June was coming around, I was like, oh, we don't have that much money. And so we we put it back to September first. And uh, I believe it was in August. We basically told everybody like we're leaving. And um, we made a video on a YouTube channel in Russian and uh, announced it to everybody that we're going to do this trip around the world. And uh, on September second, actually, we ended up leaving September first. my wife was 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 uh, feeling unprepared i think she just quit her job like the day before was her last day and so we did one more day and we left on september 2nd um and we traveled around the world for two and a half years um (laughs) yeah so originally we thought a year and then i i well i thought well if we leave in september and then we'll arrive in canada the guy the goal was to get to where i'm from in nova scotia canada uh, we'll get there in like fall and it'll be winter that's kind of that kind of sucks so I thought we'll better do like a year and a half so we can come back to Canada in the summer and then at some point I think we were like in India I was like I was counting up all the countries that we wanted to go to and how much time we had and I was like there's there's no way like this is way too much <laughs> for this short amount of time and so I was like let's do two years and in the end it ended up being like Two and a half, yeah, by the time we got back to Moscow, the end of, uh, end of February uh, last year.
0: Right, so lots of questions there, uh, definitely. Uh, so did you, what kind of trip did you imagine when you set out? What, was it going to be, uh, you know, like, uh, did you bring a tent or was it supposed to be like hostels and or, or what kind of, did you have any of that planned or did you just kind of fly into it?
1: well we've been pretty open about our our budget so we had about thirteen thousand dollars when we started and um when you set off on a trip like that you have no idea how much the money is going to last right. and there's things that can happen that you you know you just can't predict um you know if you lose your passport or i don't know you get sick or something like it, it you know the costs can add up really quickly um so we we set out with the mindset that we better keep our budget really low And um, I remember even when we were laying on the floor with the map, I I said, you know, we can try hitchhiking. Um, I'd done a little bit before. um, I'd hitchhiked in Canada a little bit, like Montreal and back, which is pretty far, but um, relative to our world trip is not that much. And uh, Israel a little bit, um, Ukraine, I think. later when I visited Ukraine, I hitchhiked from Odessa to Kiev, but um, I thought, yeah, we could try hitchhiking, you know, wherever it's possible, we can do it. And because my wife had never hitchhiked before I was, um, you know, I wasn't like, we're going to hitchhike all around the world, but um, we set off to start hitchhiking and we thought, well, if, you know, if we can't hitchhike, we'll just get buses or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but we ended up hitchhiking basically everywhere. Uh a bit of a spoiler. We did hitchhike everywhere, basically, um, and we mostly stayed with people uh, via couchsurfing. So, right. yeah. If by chance there's anybody who doesn't know what couchsurfing is, listening, it's it's a, this website. Um, it's kind of like a social network for people who either want to host travelers at their home, or um, and or uh, when they're traveling, stay at other people's homes for free. And um, so, you, when you're when you're planning to go to a city. You just, um, you you look on the website who lives there, you write the messages and, uh, and you know, hopefully somebody will answer and say, yeah, please come stay with me. And we, I'd say like at least 80% of the time we were with people via couch surfing. Right. Um, I think, um, I can probably pull up the statistics, but we stayed, uh, we pay, we stayed in hotels like 30 days, I think in two and a half uh, years. And oh, we great. we didn't pay for most of the nights because, of our YouTube channel, we, we just started writing people and saying, we have a YouTube channel, can we stay with you? Um, and we'll, you know, put your, your hotel in our video. So, but uh, more than half of the time that we were in hotels was for free. So wow. um, that kept our expenses down quite a bit. After we, we went across Russia, we went, so we went east, we went, um, maybe just quickly, I'll just say we went east to, through Russia, down Mongolia, China, Southeast Asia, India, and then we flew to uh, Egypt and we went through Egypt from, from, uh, sorry, through Africa, from Egypt through to, uh, Namibia, um, all hitchhiking. And then we flew from Namibia to Brazil and we went, we did this loop around South America and visited most of the countries there. And then we flew to Central America cause it turns out there's no road from, uh, Colombia to Panama. And, uh, and, uh, then we went through Central America, Mexico, and in, uh, in the US, we bought a car and drove around the US for I think like four months maybe. And then we were, went to Canada and we spent, we 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 went up to the west coast of Canada, drove all the way across Canada to uh, the east coast where I'm from and and we stayed there for a few months. And then we went back to Russia actually. It's funny because um, in my mind, this part of the trip is like, is like an afterthought, but we flew to Vladivostok, the far east of Russia and took trains all the way across Russia which I know, I know a lot of people like, I, uh, it's like their lifelong dream is to do that. But that was like the end of our trip that we just kind of did. And it was really cool because by that time we had a bunch of subscribers on YouTube. So we uh, we stopped and like, we had like 17 uh, meetings in different cities with our subscribers. It was really fun.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And, and how did you, the YouTube channel, just for a bit of context, was that mm-hmm. something that you started before and you had built up a, a bit of, uh, kind of, uh, traction or, or did it all come because you were posting videos from the trip?
1: Mostly from the trip. Um, I, I, uh, I had long watched YouTube probably from the very beginning, like, I don't know, 2007 or whatever. And I'd followed a lot of um, vlogs and different types of channels, but I really liked family vlogs and just people sharing their life. And, uh, I thought that would be really cool that I'd like to do that too. So when I met my wife, I started telling her about that too. And, um and uh she was pretty skeptical about it uh about whether or not she'd like to like share her life and be so public um russians are typically not so um public like they're they're not yeah public i guess yeah they're, they're yeah probably yeah. it's a bit a little bit historical they're worried about you know i don't know some the kgb or something i don't know the, the, if you you say the wrong thing or somebody catches you doing something wrong and you get in trouble or something maybe that's why i don't know people the russians are usually a pretty private um with people that they don't know and yeah uh, that's that's just the way the culture is but eventually yeah when we um when i proposed to my wife and she said yes i i believe or when i was about to propose i i like created a youtube channel john and eva and uh, my wife's name is eva or yeva in russian Um, in Russian and then like all of the different social networks I reserved the name and um, yeah once we got married I uh, we started it Um, but we didn't post very much before the trip so most uh, to answer your question (laughs) is most of the uh, the subscribers and most of the traction we got was after we um, we went on the trip yeah so when we made the announcement um, we had like maybe 600 subscribers um because that's another story, but uh, another we got a shout out on a channel, um, and uh, and a few hundred people subscribed to us. We had like fifty before that, and then when we made the announcement, I think we got we had maybe like twelve hundred subscribers when we um, when we left on day one, and now in our Russian channel we're at I think um, sixty five thousand subscribers, something like that.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. I think the the reason that I asked about that is because I'm sure there were people listening who would say, oh yeah yeah they 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 went on a two and a half year trip because they had a a massive YouTube channel before they went off. But it just goes to show that if you document and, and put some time, I mean i I've seen, I've seen the videos; that are great quality, and uh, some of them. I, I I the other day I was uh, scrolling Facebook on my phone, and it recommended to me the uh, the beard video viewers. Why you're taking it off. Well at least yeah. I
1: think it's you. But uh, probably uh <laughs> people, kind of when, every uh, few days, like some one of these big Facebook talked. groups asks us to share the video and I'm, i at the beginning I was like saying no, but then I was like, Whatever, they they put a link to our channel, so I uh I just say yes to everybody now as long as they don't post it on YouTube and they link to our channel. So <laughs> hopefully I guess that I guess that helps. A few times they've even people have even paid us to put the video up, but most of them are just they just take it and some some people do it without our permission but
0: yeah that that always happened but I guess the the beard was uh, just kind of a you said uh, I won't shave until I'm done with the trip or
1: yeah at the beginning it was sort of like you know do I take a um, razor or not and mm-hmm. i just like no I think I'll, you know this is a good opportunity nobody's like really gonna tell me to shave my beard um, you know like I don't go to school or work or whatever so um, yeah it was and it was really cool I by the end, like, it was, it was over 30 centimeters, like, 35, maybe, centimeters long, and um, I was a little bit tired of it, like, I was, I was kind of excited to shave it and see what it would be like, finally, after two and a half years to not have a beard again, but I missed it, too, after, after getting it off, (laughs) it it attracts a lot of attention, like, people remember seeing you, even, like, even if you didn't talk to them, because you're, like, wow, that's a really long beard, you know, and uh, it was, it was interesting, for sure, but um, there was one other thing you said that I was going to mention. I can't remember.
0: I couldn't recognize you for sure at, at the gathering. That's why I was like, hmm, you seem familiar, but <laughs> you yeah. have a big beard. You <laughs> well, you had, you, you, you do have a beard now, a, small one, a smaller one, but,
1: uh. Yeah. Like at the gathering, everybody was like, Oh, you don't have a beard. And I was like, I do. I have, <laughs> I have <laughs> one, of, my, quite a respect <laughs> one, one, one of the longest beards here, but it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's relatively short. Yeah, for sure. Could just a couple of centimeters.
0: Your previous, uh. Bit, like so so if so what it, basically what I'm getting out of uh, your uh, story here with the tour is that it's a lot cheaper to travel than maybe people think or maybe people fear definitely it's, yeah It's yeah. A lot easier um, are there any things that do you have any sort of like uh, you know top tips or maybe big uh, takeaways if you had to do a, uh, I don't know maybe you want to do a similar trip again what kind of uh, things would you kind of be extra careful with more aware of?
1: Okay. Yeah. I remember one thing I wanted to say was about having a big channel before. So we didn't. And so, and we didn't really make money from YouTube. I think we made maybe $6,000 in um, two and a half years, something like that. Maybe even less. Like it was like 150 bucks a month max. Right. Um, which actually by the time we got to that point, we were like, uh, we were like, wow, we could probably travel forever now because, uh, um thanks mostly thanks to the generosity and kindness of people that were you know giving us rides and were hitchhiking and letting us stay at their place with couch serving. you they don't have to feed you but most people do mm. um so we we didn't like we we ended up spend, we we always tried to spend like 5 bucks a day for both of us um I'll, I'll sometimes it would go a bit over um but overall we were pretty close like 6 something not counting visas and flights we're at like six or seven dollars uh, a day for the whole trip, um, and counting visas and flights. I think it was like eleven dollars a day for two people. Um, I know people that travel way less, and I know other people that say like, "Oh, you can't travel for less than a thousand or I don't know a month or whatever." And it's uh, like I, I know people who have traveled for several months for so like a dollar a day, and it's definitely possible. I mean, it, it, you need other people to help you, um, but you know you can definitely do it. Um, it's definitely possible. Right. Um, but things that I would say, um, it's, yeah, I would definitely say it's way easier than people might think. You know, I never, I didn't really have any examples of somebody who had done quite what we did before we started. I've met people since then. Um, we've sort of attracted them or found them, um, who've done similar things, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, you know, at the, near the beginning of this, uh, uh interview is that, um, I often see other people do something. And I think, well, if they could do it, then why couldn't I? And um, I, I remember finding like one person, for example, a couple who hitchhiked from Moscow to Hong Kong uh, through Russia and maybe Kazakhstan or, or Mongolia and then through China. And um, I thought, wow, that's cool. And he, and he posted videos while I was doing it. He's like, yeah, you can do it. You know, and you can, you can post videos from China. You know, you can use a VPN and meter around the firewall. And, and um, I thought, well, if he could do that, then we could do that. And uh, it's definitely way cheaper if you do what we do, where what we did, where we went from country to country by land. Um, because if you fly like, you know, from London to Vietnam and then go back to London and then fly to Thailand and then go back to London and then fly, you know, the tickets are extremely expensive. But if you're in Vietnam, it's not that hard to get to Cambodia or get to Thailand. It's, it's uh, you know, you can do it in a day or whatever and, and you can do it for free. <laughs> so, um, yeah, or for like an extremely cheap bus if you don't want to hitchhike. But we, we had a great experience hitchhiking everywhere. Every country that we went to, we, were, we visited 33 countries. Um, I wouldn't really recommend going as fast as we did. Uh, 33 countries in two and a half years. Um, it was pretty fast. Uh, we, we spent uh, an average like three, two or three nights in each city. So it was pretty much just like constantly moving, and I think like three times we spent uh, a week in a in a city, um, in two and a half years. So like it's um, there's so many things that come along with that that you don't necessarily always think about. But every time you come to a new city, you have to figure out so many new things. Um, You know how can I connect? uh,
0: Like if I can interject, because I mean it for me personally, definitely because I, I love traveling it's one of my favorite hobbies but yeah I, I would say if I go to a couple of places within a very short period of time I sort of get I kind of, I don't know if it's kind of overstimulation or something <laughs> I don't know what the, the thing is but it sounds pretty uh, hardcore to do that kind of traveling for so long do you, do you have any idea how what kind of what kept you going and what was exciting about it If you could put words to that? I I know the whole experience is probably exciting, but are there any things you can can think back to where you're like, maybe you were super tired, but you kept going because of, I don't know, someone you
1: met or is it some kind of cultural experience or.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. um, I think overall having a goal helped, you know, so much because I had, we had a friend, like we met him in Vietnam from he's from Russia and, he said uh, he left Russia planning to travel for seven years and he didn't really know where he was going to go. And um, I think that's a lot more difficult. Uh, He ended up going back much sooner, which, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But like, you know, when you start and just say like, I'm going to travel for a long time, that's kind of, it's hard to just keep going. You know, you can get tired or you just have a lot, you you don't have a sense of direction. Um, But our goal was to get to Canada. Um, We, we like, we weren't super stubborn. Like we could have quit in the middle, but I don't know. I'm the kind of person that if I set a goal, then I'm probably going to just do it. Um, But other like um, smaller goals helped and other like sort of um, deadlines. Like when we bought plane tickets, like um, we bought, well, I think we were in, maybe we had already entered India, India, but we were in India for two months and we bought a ticket from India to uh, to Egypt and you know when you already have a plane ticket for me it's like well like I'm not just gonna I'm not just gonna you uh, know waste yeah. that money so we got to get to Kochi in the south of India and fly to Egypt and then I, we bought the ticket to from uh, Namibia to Brazil I think pretty early on and so like we had you know a few months where we knew that we got to fly and you know we got to get to that city by that day or else we're gonna you know lose a bunch of money and so that that helped for sure and by the time we got to by the time when we bought tickets to Brazil, I was like, wow, we're going to do this. Like, at, at, when we started, I, I didn't really, I didn't know. I just, we just made made sure that we always had enough money to fly home, like to Russia, I guess, if we needed to, or to Canada, maybe. Right. Um, but uh, I didn't know if we would actually be able to make it. I didn't know how much money it was all going to cost. <laughs> So when we were in Africa and we bought tickets to Brazil, I was like, wow, this is really going to happen. You know, we, we, I had no doubt. And when we got to Brazil, it was like, wow, this is easy. You know, we're already in the Americas, you know, right. um, and the world sort of seemed smaller after after all of that. I think, uh, oh, what kept us going? Yeah, you mentioned people and that was the biggest thing of our trip. You know, we we went to Peru and we didn't visit Machu Picchu, you know, for example. And a lot of people think like, that's insane, you know. Uh, because most people go to Peru and they think like this is my trip of a lifetime you know I'm never going to come back and you know you got to see everything in two weeks because you have you know to go back to work or whatever um, but every country we visited we sort of had a different mindset um, where like we 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 were sort of just like we sort of treated it as like a buffet so we tried a little bit of everything and you know if you like it then you'll know, go back and get more of what you liked Right. So we we just think, you know, if we like Peru, then we'll go back. And I'm sure we will. Um, but we, for example, you know, most people go to Machu Picchu in Peru, but we spent Christmas and New Year's with a Peruvian family. And uh, that was just an amazing experience. And I'm sure it was better than Machu Picchu, you know. So um, the people were the biggest thing. And there were definitely times where we got a bit tired and where we felt like, maybe like almost guilt, guilt, maybe not the right word, but it felt kind of like wrong that we were, we didn't feel like going out you know like we're in a new city and we don't really want to go and see that thing or whatever but uh overall like if you just look at it like as a buffet then there's not that many regrets it was uh it was definitely a unique experience and the people were the best part of it especially when you get to stay in their homes
0: what was the most surprising place you went to that you maybe you had some preconceptions or you didn't know anything about it and you got there and it was just like what
1: i gotta be honest like we there we did not study that much before like we we studied like visas and stuff but there were so many times where i was just like surprised like i was surprised often by the landscapes like um like when we were driving into beijing and i was like wow there's freaking mountains here like i did not realize that there's mountains here like like on the maps that i look at i usually like either they're not marked or i don't notice the mountains (laughs) And so there was many times I was like, wow, there's mountains or like all of Peru, basically from, from South to North is a, like a desert on the coast and then there's mountains. And then the other side is like jungle. And so like, I was, I didn't really realize that like Lima is basically in a desert, you know, and, um, I've heard about like the, I think it's Atacama desert in uh, in Chile, but I just sort of didn't connect all the dots and. Yeah, th- there was there were a lot of situations like that where I just like I didn't know, but that was that sort of like added to the fun of it. If we just read about everything before we went, then I think maybe a little bit less interesting.
0: Yeah, definitely, um, uh, I, w- I would agree with that. It's part of the adventure, And um, from what I can understand, you you had a very uh, non-touristy experience as well, which is
1: yeah, yeah. We practically never saw tourists, to be honest. Like, I, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, like in Africa, I remember we we like never saw tourists except for once in a while, like maybe two or three times on borders, we would see like a bus full of white people or whatever, but we pretty much you know, never saw a tourist. So that was fun. Like when we would hitchhike, I would just look at the, every country, you would sort of realize uh, quickly how fast you could move on average. So like in India, like 200 kilometers in a day would be like pretty good. Um, depending on the South, it was a bit better. So you could do maybe like 400 and so we would just look for a city that was about that far away, like which cities are in that radius. Mm-hmm. And then we would search in Couchsurfing couch who was there in these cities and then write to a bunch of them, like a lot of them sometimes. Like some people try and they're like, oh, nobody answers me. But well, in some cities we would write like 30 messages and one person would answer or nobody would answer. Um, and, uh, and then we would end up in these random cities that would have like 50,000 people or I don't know, even 200,000 people in in like Peru and uh, if you go open the Wikipedia page, it just like tells you the population, nothing else, you know? And, <laughs> and I was always like curious, like who, like who lives there? Why do they live there? You know, like, why don't they move? And, you know, that was always, it was interesting to me to go to places that people don't usually go to. And it's not that hard to be honest. Like even in Thailand, if you're like on Phuket Island where there's tons of tourists, you just go like five kilometers away and there's no tourists. It's like, they're, they're always in these very, um, very like limited spaces usually like limited areas and
0: yeah did you ever did you ever get a chance to watch uh Bold and bankrupt running around uh eastern europe
1: <laughs> Bald and bankrupt i don't think so. i think you mentioned that when we were in Bratislava. i'm not sure if i've seen it no
0: because he's he's the exact uh, uh that that's what he does i mean he, he doesn't go that far he's in most eastern europe but just because he went to the uh, he went to the belarusian Chernobyl exclusion zone and found people who still lived in you know old houses with no electricity mm-hmm. so, so that's it that's i just thought of it
1: Electric. um things that we were surprised about like it's a um a couple of things that were amazing where I, I love brazil it's probably my probably my favorite country i don't know country is a sort of an abstract idea but definitely like my favorite culture um and one thing i love about brazil is the diversity there i think well I think a lot of people don't know anything about Brazil, but um, they don't realize how big it is and how many people there are and how diverse it is. So there's like, for example, Brazil has, I think 1.3 million Japanese people, the biggest population of Japanese people outside of Japan. <laughs> um, there's just like everybody, there's like Italian cities, German cities, um, where people still speak German and Italian. Like what's her name? Gisele Bunchen or whatever, like supermodel. She's German, Brazilian, right? And I, yeah. I think she speaks German. Um, that's just like one example, but there's, there's lots of them. Um, and so when we were on our way to Brazil, I think there's even like an American town somewhere for some reason, like Americans moved to Brazil and uh, like, I don't know, like during World War II or something, I don't know. Uh, but uh, I was searching for wh- who lives there. And because I spent time in Ukraine and, and Russia, I, was searched, I searched for Ukrainians in Brazil and Russians in Brazil. And I found Ukrainians um, in Brazil. Um, that there's a lot of them too. Uh, I don't remember how many, but there's a lot. And there's this one city called Prudentopolis, uh, it's in the south in a state called Paraná, and there's 55,000 people, and it's 80% Ukrainian. Wow. And uh, my wife's half Ukrainian too, so it was really interesting to her. And anyway, we ended up going there, it was just an amazing experience. Um, we, we met Ukrainian Brazilians, and we met like a Ninety-year-old guy who who still spoke uh, Ukrainian, and a lot of them like spoke a little bit. But they were they would the the young kids there to this day they study Ukrainian dances and they cook some Ukrainian foods, and it was really interesting. And and we did the same thing with Russians. There's Russians there that are old believers. The they're kind of like it's it's probably um, a crude comparison, but kind of like Amish or something. Like they're sort of closed off. They have long beards. They make their own clothes and. Uh, the women have long hair and um and they they uh yeah they they sort of marry each other they don't they and you know, it's it's frowned upon to marry outside of the faith you know yeah. and um yeah we i i saw like some reports about them uh on brazilian um like uh news reports on youtube and uh i just somehow found the coordinates to one of them on this weird site with a bunch of ads and was like we got to go there and um they yeah they they usually are not super open but we were really lucky we met an amazing couple that just i don't know like i had a long beard and i spoke russian maybe that helped but they really like welcomed us in we spent uh, i think just one night or two nights uh in their home and uh just showed up at their doorstep basically and they showed us around their village and told us their stories It was just that was amazing we were just like pinching ourselves the whole time like we are in brazil speaking Russian with like uh, a woman who was born in China and a man who was born in Uruguay and their Russian is still like perfect except they have a bunch of really old words that people don't speak and people don't use in Russia anymore and yeah amazing.
0: Yeah that's definitely a unique experience and actually I I had a similar experience recently but it's slightly uh, further I don't know when do you you know roughly when this town was formed is it like a hundred years ago or
1: uh the i think it was yeah a little over 100 i think the ukrainian one
0: yeah or the or the russian one Is um
1: that... they've been in like the, the one woman was born in china so they they haven't at least the the people that we met one was born in uruguay i think they've been there like maybe like 50 60 years something like that
0: right because uh, what I did, I just had a, I just went on a road trip in, in the U.S. and I went to a little Danish town. <laughs> and mm. It was exactly the same experience where, I mean, they, they're they American, of course, but they, they have uh, Danish blood. And it's about 110, 120 years ago since the village w- was formed. Mm-hmm. So the language is gone now, except for there's a few old people where the grandmother would have spoken to them in Danish. So they speak with this very strong american accent still a pretty understandable danish but most of them almost all of them don't speak any and but they still have and, and that's funny when you said it because it's exactly the same they have the folk dancing mm-hmm. and they have the food so some of the dishes have survived over there and they've yeah. sort of uh, changed some of the recipes you know they, they mix some of the dishes and some of the meat dishes changed animal at some point, you know, <laughs> there's all these kind of like funny, small things. Um, but it's funny to see that kind of, you know, it's almost like a, an evolution, but simultaneous in two different parts of the world. Yeah. Uh, and it's a bit of a shame that the language goes lost. I think it's a natural reaction to the uh, kind of the host country maybe, but um, it, it's just funny that it, you, I don't even know how far that is from, from Iowa to Brazil—it's uh, quite far, <laughs> but you can have that that similar experience and
1: uh, definitely.
0: And it's so similar as well; it's, it's amazing. I wish I could yeah. go over there and teach them Danish, but I don't think the motivation is there, even if they say so. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah. That that was the story you're telling. Similar to the Ukrainian village, uh, the town in, in Brazil, they would like, but every every uh, Saturday they had like uh, Ukrainian lessons and uh, dance lessons, but um but they and they have like ukrainian churches all over the place but they don't the young people don't know the language at all really but they still like i, I spoke we spoke at the school there and we, we went to their like saturday school kind of like sunday school and right. um so it might um, only be one or two generations before they're in the same situation as as the, as the danish town maybe could be yeah yeah but i asked them like the kids like who who hears ukrainian like everybody puts up their hand and right that was really interesting you know that they're brazilian like i also asked them you know like do you ever feel like you're not brazilian like if you go to another town you know you know with other brazilians that you're you're you know different you don't fit in and they're like no we're brazilian so we're ukrainian <laughs> yeah and that's that's one thing i love about brazil we we saw the same thing in canada too we we um if, if anybody's ever uh, near edmonton there's a really cool um ukrainian village like museum open air museum like with actors and super cool like they they speak ukrainian and um yeah we we had uh we we had a little bit of a, a taste of that there too there's a lot of ukrainians in Canada too like uh, i think uh, also more than a million and uh, we don't have that many people <laughs> <laughs> right yeah
0: definitely well super cool i I hope that uh your story has inspired some people to uh, pack up the rucksack and uh, go explore the world because uh, i mean it definitely has for me uh, i think that the world is like you mentioned previously has become so much smaller the opportunities to travel are just ever growing and with the social media and you know the the new kind of ways to stay online all the time even if you're in the middle of nowhere in, in asia you know you can still contact people on, on whatsapp and whatever, definitely um has really made it possible so so thank you for sharing that first and foremost and just one one little thing i was hoping we could touch on as well if, if you have a few more minutes
1: um, yeah i've got time
0: cool uh, is um so when you met your wife you mm-hmm. had a pretty decent russian level already yeah um how can you share a little bit about the uh, multilingual relationship maybe for people who haven't uh, tried that or haven't seen that in action because i'm sure people are thinking Did you speak english at home do you speak russian did it change at some point did you uh, talk about it uh, how, how did that work out
1: um well, yeah, when we met, I just said hello in Russian, and um, she said hello back, and I didn't, she didn't realize immediately that I was foreign, but I told her probably, like, the third, a few sentences later that I'm Canadian, and that was confusing, you know, it was, like, in the cheapest train that night, the longest, slowest uh, night train um, from from St. Petersburg to Moscow, and um, she wasn't expecting, there was, it was me, and uh, I think there was four other Americans, and, um, uh, yeah. Anyway, that was that's. It's not every day that you see um, Americans on the cheapest trains, and uh, yeah. So we from the very beginning we spoke Russian, and um, we we never really switched. Uh, we I think like near the beginning of our marriage, my wife would like say, "Okay, we're gonna speak English on Saturdays or something," but we it would just last for like half an hour or something. So we would just always speak Russian because Russian. My Russian is like uh at a very high level. Um and my wife's re- English is very good now too, but um not as good as my Russian, I guess. So um so yeah we just always did that. And uh for some reason like when I went to Ukraine and uh I just had this I just had it in my mind that I need to like I wanted to like master Russian. Like not just speak Russian but master Russian. So I put in a lot of effort and um, and I guess it paid off. So, because Russian to me is sort of like a second native language now, not quite, but I can do anything that natives can and some things better than natives sometimes, you know, than, than some natives, you know? So, so... Um,
0: what kind of things did you do in in Ukraine uh, when you were there? Did you open textbooks or did you just try to use the language as much as possible?
1: It was mostly using language. So, because um, all day, every day, yeah, it was sort of this really strict schedule. So I I would have to uh, we had an hour every day to study. Um and then I think we had to be out of the apartment at like eleven a.m. and we we should uh we should be back at the apartment at like nine PM. So like at least I guess that's ten hours a day. We're just like talking to people either on the street or at their home in their homes and stuff. Um so it was a lot of uh using it. We did have like some textbooks, a couple, um that was helpful. It I, I definitely think that there's um that's really useful. Like even at the first time when I was in, in Russia, if I had just a book and started reading it, I think it would have helped me a lot because when you're living in the in the environment and you constantly hear the language, um, if like the same day you read you know, a page from a, a grammar book, uh like a some kind of course book, um, then the same day you hear the things that you just learned, you know? And right. you you, the, you constantly were hearing them, but you didn't realize, you know, and you just gradually put the pieces together. Um, yeah, so uh, unfortunately, we weren't really, we weren't allowed to use like um, uh, like iPads or computers. Really, we didn't have computers. We could we'd write home once a week uh, on, by by email, but um, I think there was tools that would I could have used if I had access to like a uh, like a, a smartphone or a computer that you know like flash cards or something like that that i think could have sped things up a little bit i was also slightly limited by the fact that because it was a religious mission i pretty much talked about the same things every day <laughs> so i would repeat certain things like every single day like many times a day and um our like the the language that we were exposed to was a bit limited so i could have learned it faster i think if i um if I wasn't, I didn't have those limitations. But it was also, you know, this, this amazing opportunity to constantly be in the environment. Um, but um, what, in terms of what I did, also, like, I, one of the, the big things for me was just really active listening. Like, uh, because I was there for two years and almost everybody that I was with were foreigners um, that were doing the same thing, they, I, I saw different, you know, people have different experiences and people reach different levels. And a lot of times people would reach a certain level and just sort of like become complacent. They would think, well, you know, I can communicate. People understand me. I understand them. It's enough, you know. And they wouldn't really study new words and they wouldn't work on their accent at all. Um, but for whatever reason, I just had this drive and um, I would I would write down words constantly. If I was sitting... Um, you know, at a table with somebody like drinking tea or whatever, I would have my little notepad on the table and I would write down things that they were saying that I didn't understand. And sometimes I'd ask them, um, but usually I just write them down and then I'd look them up in the dictionary when I got home. Um, Sometimes like it was cold in the winter uh, and I was talking to people on the street when they would say words I didn't know, I would remember them. Like, so I couldn't, it was cold, so I I couldn't write them down or whatever comfortably. Um, And I would, and then I would like make a list in my head where I would have like, I don't know, sometimes maybe like eight or 10 words, or I would just like keep repeating the words that I'd heard that I didn't know in my head. And when I got home, I'd write them all down. And then I would look them up in the dictionary. Um, So just this constant, like very, very active learning. And, you know, just when when I didn't understand something, um, I would ask people and I would I had uh, over time, I'd made some friends that spoke English well and spoke Russian, You know there were native Russian speakers. So I would call them and say, what does this mean? Like, what's what's, why why is it like this and um i yeah, had just this uh this gradual but very active uh process that got me to where i am today with my russian and that, that lasted for even when i finished that uh 2 years i still studied quite actively when i was in university i lived in um uh they had this foreign language housing so i i got you have to apply and i got into this um russian house so in the apartment, every apartment there was six people, and they had one native speaker, um, and we were only allowed to speak Russian in the apartment. So, um, so yeah, that that was that, that also helped. But I, the the active learning continued after that. Like I would, I would try to read our articles, like news. Like I I don't like reading the news, but I would read the news in Russian just to like practice. <laughs> right. Um, and I would just like take every article, and sometimes I put it into like learning with texts and. Um, you know look up every single word that i didn't know and and make some flashcards, cards and uh, i would watch tv shows or uh, russian movies uh and and just really actively try to try to get everything i could out of them but i think that lasted maybe for maybe four or five years max and uh for the last like four years that i've been speaking russian i've sort of been more passive so i probably could learn more than i do but um it's almost like my english you know that you you learn You see words in your native language and you're like oh that's new and like oh you might look it up and be like oh that's 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 cool like um i'm watching an old uh, tv show in english and there's a bunch of words that i don't know and i look them up and but i just forget them that's kind of where i am with my russian now because the words that i don't know are mostly pretty rare so i just like "Eh, whatever i don't need to know them all
0: right exactly
1: yeah and and the uh the the jump to
0: from advanced to native? Like, did you did you feel anything there? Because uh, obviously that's a that's a huge leap to go from being, let's say, functionally fluent, can do pretty much anything, to maybe start being. I don't know if it's a it's a it's a culture, or the fact that we're missing from that last step. You know, you can speak everything right, but if you don't know maybe some of the idioms and some of the fixed expressions, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if there's a difference. Maybe advanced and and native like a, a very close uh,
1: synonyms. Uh, you know, I don't like. It may be bold of me to say, you know, it's close to native, but I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know, I don't know exactly what it is. Um, I think it's like. Hmm.
0: Well, native language, like I think, is a good approximation anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think is that's the truth.
1: I, <laughs> what does it take but i don't know like it, it's it's interesting because there's so many examples in english where you know i'm from canada and there's people that you know i've met so many people who have lived in canada for i don't know 30 years or 40 years or you know they do who, who english wasn't their native language and they're they're i don't know they most of them are not you wouldn't say they're like native though to be honest they're they still right. have an accent right and yeah yeah I that's know. an interesting point also uh,
0: because the language at that point you have the new words can going to be so rare that yeah. you're growing your vocabulary it's like one word a week maybe mm-hmm. maybe less yeah uh, and it says fixed expressions and stuff then that can be hard to to get as well
1: i think it's just a very active thing you know like uh in order if you like you don't need to do it i'm what i've done with russian nobody needs to do that there's not really a good reason to be close to native uh in accent you know uh, of course you know vocabulary and grammar and stuff is it's good to have but um the, the most important thing is i'm sure a million times has been stated in this podcast is that people can understand you and you can understand them right And, um, yeah, that's, and
0: that's the first goal <laughs> yeah
1: for me though like i just for some reason like to this day just i probably today and definitely a couple days i remember just like wait, 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 uh, like tell my wife, like repeat that again. And I'm like, wow, I did not realize that, you know, like for example, нравится, um, нравится means like, for example, uh, like I like, I like this. Right. Um, and just a couple days ago, I realized that there's like, that, that um, I just, for some reason, it never like struck me that the E sound becomes an E. And I just like never even realized that happens in Russian. But нравится, they don't. Nobody says нравится. They say нравится. Uh, yeah. But the but that. this vowel is e, and and it's basic. If if I'm not mistaken, I checked the the um, IPA, and it's the same as e, like it or is, which Russians have a lot of a hard time with in in English. But they so actually have that sound in in Russian. Really. And so to this day, it's uh, I, I find these things, and uh, I'm still trying to iron out little things. I'm not perfect in my Russian and definitely like my handwriting gives me away if I ever write anything. But luckily well, these yeah. days that happens less and less. <laughs> well, um, that,
0: that's definitely fine. I, I, I mean, uh, that, you're at such a high level that these are tiny nuances. But uh, the, again, one of the problems of anyone out there listening has uh, attempted to learn Russian or, or working on Russian is some of the sound corruptions that are not really explained anywhere and not really mentioned. Yes, um, that is a bit of a mystery. Where, where you have, you will get in trouble because how are you supposed to know? Oh yeah, yeah. there's. <laughs> it's supposed to sound like this, not this. Oh okay. yeah, there's
1: a lot of phonology in Russian that I've never seen explained. Even when I did for like a a full bachelor's degree in Russian, like uh, <laughs> there's some things that never were explained to me.
0: Yeah, you need uh, the PhD apparently to uh, to get anywhere close.
1: Perhaps yeah. There were a few little things like there was a really good class about phonology and uh, when and, and when I was in university and that was that I, I loved that. There were certain things that I just never nobody ever told me like I guess I'd already been speaking Russian for four years, and uh, I yeah I just realized like the raised e the the yes sound changes to like uh, to like a uh, yeah I don't know this 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 is only interesting to a very limited uh, group of people but for example yes or yeast um, yeah, yeah, like the yeah or yeah, the, they're two different sounds, but they and the, it happens all over the language, but uh, it, it's rarely talked about. I've never seen it talked about in any basic courses.
0: No, that expression one of the, the hard ones.
1: Yeah, but for the most part, like you can more or less get by without a lot of those things. So yeah, but you just obviously be a foreigner. That's that's just the way it is,
0: and that's okay. I think that's acceptable. Uh, but if I can comment a bit on your uh, language, I mean, I I don't know if anyone. Uh, has ever, has ever done that because I think when you said if I had some technolo- technological help I could have sped it up. I'm not sure about that because I think what you did is you embraced first of all you went head first so you just like okay I gotta do it. You had a goal. You had a mm-hmm. limited time in the country so you knew that you had to make it happen. You know mm-hmm. two years right? It's, it, it's a relatively long period but it goes by quickly and especially if you're gonna Learn such a, a complicated language, and yep. you um you, you went old school, you know. You had you had mm-hmm. a a pen and pad, so you got the uh, what they call it the uh, the connection, you know, the muscle connection to the brain, right? And I think I think apps are they're kind of like good and bad, you know. Apps can definitely elevate your learning, and I think something like flashcards is basically like the matrix. Sometimes you know, it's kind of Download words into, mm-hmm. directly into your brain, but yeah. I also think apps have caused us to have a very low attention span and a very kind of like we're kind of bombarding the pleasure center with lingots and rewards and badges and all this kind of stuff that ha- i don 't know if that has a, a net positive effect you know if, you, if you're destroying your concentration forever, but you learned. 500 words and memorize, is that really worth it? So I would say that your method, it, I don't know if it takes longer or less, to me it doesn't really matter, but in terms of efficiency and the natural language that you develop, which sometimes the apps don't develop because they're so focused on vocabulary, I think that was a huge boon for you, a huge benefit that that maybe you, you don't see yourself because <laughs> you, were, you were the main character, you were in it. Um, mm. but. I don't, I haven't heard of a lot of people lately who have, have actually done this. Uh, so I think that's probably partly uh, some of your success comes from, from this kind of old school approach where you're actually putting pen to paper, you're being curious about it, but you can't just look it up, you know, that's the yeah. problem. If, I, if if you said a Russian word now that I don't know, I could literally Google it on my phone while, while I'm speaking. Right. So that... Means my brain is not storing that for any serious amount of time because it always thinks, "Well, you can just look it up again." So yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you did. Uh, I think you did really well. I mean, I'm I'm not sure how how much you thought about that actively when you were in it, but kind of looking back, I would say if if I could recommend something, it would be more of that.
1: You might you might be right. Yeah, there, definitely. There's a big distraction factor too. You know that if I had you know access to all those things, that maybe I would have just. You know, it would have done uh, more uh, harm than good. Yeah. It, it, but I, I think that just a very, um, if I was just limited, for example, to like Anki, I don't use Anki these days, but I think when I start a new language, I will. Um, or uh, or even just like watching, like, even like, I don't know, listening to a radio or watching TV or, or movies. I didn't have access to that for those two years. So I was really, I had a really limited input. Um, which I think could I could have benefited by having a little bit more input. But still, yeah, you're, you're right. There's definitely some benefits to what I did. And and yeah, there's, there's, it's definitely different to repeat a word in your head all day or for multiple hours before you have a chance to write it down than just like jotting it down on your phone and that's it, you know? Yeah. Or searching for the translation right away. I, yeah.
0: I think so. And, and definitely, yeah, I, I circled that as well when you said the act of listening because I definitely made the mistake when I tried to learn Russian really seriously. I definitely hmm. made the mistake of putting a lot of work into the active component, so you know, reading a book or doing an app, or well, reading it is good, I suppose, but like a text textbook, like a self-study book, yeah, and apps and software and all those kind of like courses, online lessons and stuff. And I realized afterwards that I hadn't really gotten that much input, just good old-fashioned input, you know. So I think. If anything, most people would also be lacking in that uh, where you just, because you need to listen to the language to be able to replicate it. Right?
1: Yeah, it, nothing, you can't, you can never reproduce it if you don't have the input. That's right.
0: Yeah, and I just think we, and again, I think it comes back to this uh, uh, kind of focus on concentration levels where we just don't have it anymore because of all this technology around us. So people can't sit and listen or, or watch a program where maybe they don't understand you know that much, but actually, that's a great way to sort of fill the time between lessons or or study sessions.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Well, John, John or Jonathan. Both. John, it's fine. Yeah, John. <laughs> um, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, and um, I wish I could have gone on a trip like yours, and I probably will in the future. But um, I'm really happy that you came by and shared some of your insights in both traveling, which is something that we occasionally have on the podcast because I know a lot of people are excited about potentially traveling and using some of their language skills, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also your experience learning Russian to a really high level. Sometimes we spend a little bit too much time on the show talking about getting to that first stage, you know, the the functional kind of level where you can go out and, and enjoy the language, which is a great step to get to, but we don't often talk about, well, what happens after? So, I'm mm-hmm. happy that you were able to share a few insights on, on your journey to uh, near native. I think was <laughs> was the term we we, sure. we would uh, would fit. So so thank you so much for that. And mm-hmm. I guess uh, the last thing: where could people uh, find more about you? What's the name of your YouTube channel?
1: Yeah, Um, so the Russian channel is John Eva if you speak Russian. If you just write J O N and Eva in in English too, you'll find us. But uh, the, we have an English YouTube channel, too, which we mostly started after the trip. Um, it's called Can Rush C-A-N-R-U-S-H. It's sort of like Canada, Russia. That was the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, like, you can find us on Instagram, too, John and Eva. But uh, if, uh, I'll be happy if, if anybody's interested. You can see our trip around the world in Russian. Or uh, we'll, be, we'll be doing some videos in, in English soon, sort of recapping the trip. Um, and I'll be happy if anybody uh, if anybody wants to reach out if you have any questions or or comments.
0: Awesome, man. Do you have any future plans? I mean, now you're your father. Congratulations. But, Thank you, uh, yes. Do you want to... Is the traveling then on permanent hold or are you gonna... Is it itching again?
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely we want to travel. Yeah, there's this bureaucracy thing where like I'm trying to get Russian citizenship right now to be a dual citizen, so uh, we're in Russia at the moment, but like tomorrow, I'm going to apply for permanent residency. And then in six months, I should be able to apply for citizenship if no laws change and everything goes smoothly. Um, and my wife's waiting for permanent residency in Canada. So we're sort of between Russia and Canada now, but um, we definitely want to travel around Russia and uh, around Canada. We have to live in Canada for three years for my wife to apply for citizenship, but we'll definitely we'll definitely get out and visit some other places as well. Um, but yeah definitely we'll be traveling and and our thinking is now that, as soon as we finish um, as soon as my wife becomes a Canadian citizen, so all uh, well three of us now, maybe there 'll be more kids then'll we'll we we all be dual citizens then um then we want to go live somewhere else and probably Brazil for a couple of years, but it could change that's uh so that's so on our channels we, we kind of post about videos about uh about languages a little bit, but about life and travel. Uh, in different countries and uh, there's definitely going to be a lot more of that in the future and I don't know if we'll do another trip around the world but we very well may very well may uh, <laughs> well, sounds good yeah, there's so many opportunities
0: well I'm looking forward to seeing it and uh, if you uh, grow another beard then you'll have another video to ask the question
1: <laughs> yeah. yes definitely yeah yeah. <laughs> cool. might thank do it much. might do it thank you Chris thanks
0: okay. If you're looking for a language teacher to enhance your language learning, then I highly recommend italki. Italki is the world's biggest tutoring platform, and you can find thousands of teachers and tutors at very reasonable prices. Get a free lesson after completing your first lesson by going to languageteacher.co.